midday on the Rural Radio Network takes to the air across the far and wide. And we are going to go surprise to uh, surprise to find our uh, ag team leader. And that is Susan Littlefield today. How you doing, Susan? I am great. You know, spring is here because I've got robins everywhere in my yard. Uh, yeah, it's a beautiful morning, isn't it? It is gorgeous. I'll take it. Yep, you get a little bit of wind under control, it makes a whole big lot of difference. And that's what we finally got here. Now, uh, you're saying that that Governor's Ag Conference is uh, getting in down the brass tacks today, isn't it? It is. You know, it started yesterday afternoon. We'll continue through this afternoon. A great opportunity for folks, if you haven't had the chance to attend, to go check it out. Full slate of different speakers, all focusing on agriculture. But last night's theme amongst the panel of what they call Nebraska's Aussie National Spotlight was on trade. Everybody had the same conversation about how it all came back to trade. So we're going to talk more about that at 1245. And then Staley will bring us an update at 117 from the happenings of the Ag Conference. And at 1219, Congressman Marshall will talk to us about NASA and his concerns that he has. All right. And there are a lot of con- concerns because uh, all that trade, uh, that trade formula is all as interconnected as anything can be, and everybody's kind of waiting for the other shoe to fall, aren't they? It is. It's very much so, and especially now that we've got the steel and the aluminum trade war discussion going on, how much is that tariff going to affect the way NAFTA turns out? So mm-hmm. lots hanging up in the air at this point. All right. Susan, thanks very much. We'll listen close to the yeah. Ag Team reports today. Thanks. Thank Jason you. Jorgensen is in with sports. What have you, sir? State High School Boys Basketball Tournament is underway and games going on at this time. A Class B good one brewing between York and Crete with the Dukes up 31-28 at the half. And C1, not much of a game. Top-seeded Wahoo is having their way with Ogallala 47-19. to And Class D1, it was Johnson Brock over West Hold in the first half 31-29. And a D2 in the first half and a low-scoring one. Giltner had themselves a 21-16 lead over Wilcox Hildreth. Now, winners earlier today included a Class B. It was Bennington over Aurora and C1. Lincoln Christian knocked out Grand Island Central Catholic 69-58. And D1, it was Lord Central Catholic uh, pulling an upset over Paxton, who went into that one 22-1. Lords won at 63-57. And a Class D2, not much of a game today between top seed of Fall City, Sacred Heart, and Cody Kilgore. Sacred Heart won that one 63-20. Coming up in sports, we'll have the latest for you on the scores of those four games that are taking place right now. Also, we'll talk some college basketball. Big 12 tournament is underway. Kansas State just got underway against TCU. And KU will play in the 330 game. Is it going to match up with Oklahoma State, who upset Oklahoma yesterday? And if that's not enough, we'll hear from new head coach Scott Frost. He was a guest last night on Sports Nightly. Yeah. And the Husker baseball team has our home opener in about two hours as they take on Cal Poly. All right. Well, Scott definitely has the talk down now. If we can get the walk, we'll be good. And like he said last night, he's, he's everybody's buddy until he loses a game. <laughs> he, he knows how it works. <laughs> so true. Bob Brogan on business. Well, he hasn't lost a game yet. No, so true. Uh, an early gain uh, gone. U.S. stocks are trading mixed. Also, uh, uh, talking about tariffs, President Trump is going is expected to announce some tariffs on steel and aluminum imports later in the day and that's kind of the 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 talk of the town talk of the country right now yeah absolutely all this and more coming up on midday 
Here comes the Ag Weather Now with Paul Perkins, brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. Quite a spread of temperatures across the Cornhusker State. Y- yeah, some uh, very chilly 20s still into northeast Nebraska. 24 right now at Wayne in the northeast corner of Nebraska, 23 at Sioux City. Of course, they do have snow cover on the ground there. And then temperatures in the mid to upper 50s already over northeast Colorado. And still almost no chances of precipitation that amounts to anything. No, just a spotty chance as we head towards the weekend. Right now, most of our temperatures in central Nebraska in the 30s. That ranges from 32 at Grand Island to 42 and 43 at North Platte and Lexington. We do have those warmer 40s as you head towards Ogallala at 48, and then some low 50s in the southern Nebraska Panhandle and also over northwest Kansas. Most of Kansas in the 30s to the low 40s. Some high pressure overhead going to keep weather dry for today. That high pressure was overhead earlier overnight, and that helped to give us some clear skies and light winds. Then that quick cool down. That area of high pressure slides southeast today and turns our winds to the south and begins a short-term warming trend. A mix of high clouds and light south winds tonight should allow those temperatures from dropping off a whole lot. Tomorrow, low pressure will develop to our southwest. That will pump up even warmer air out of the southwest. Some spotty rain and snow chances are on the way for Saturday and Saturday night as that area of low pressure tracks across the plains. Not looking at a big event with this if we even see anything. Our temperatures Sunday going to be the coolest of the next seven days on the backside of it. And that's not going to be cool, too cool, with temperatures only into the 40s. Some mild and dry weather returns for early next week as the ridge of high pressure starts to build east across the plains. And that ridge will take firm hold of our weather in the long-term forecast. The long-term indicating temperatures warmer than normal in Nebraska and Kansas, especially earlier on from Tuesday through March 21st. But by the 21st, some cooler than normal air is starting to get closer from the west, and that is predicted for the far northwest corner of Nebraska. So just be aware that in case you think spring has sprung, it may not just yet. Our precipitation forecast in Nebraska starts drier than normal the middle of next week, but runs above normal precipitation late next week through the 21st. Now, the Kansas precipitation outlook not looking too good. It's indicating below normal precipitation the entire period from Tuesday into the 21st. Nearly 75% of Nebraska is drought-free in the latest drought monitor. It's abnormally dry right now from Frontier County and McCook eastward to Lincoln and the southeast corner of Nebraska. Also in northern Cherry County, right around Sydney and the northwest corner of the Panhandle. In Kansas, only Cheyenne County is drought-free. The northern one tier of counties and extreme east Kansas is abnormally dry. Right along the I-70 corridor and the southeast, it's in moderate drought. Much of the southwest half and south-central Kansas in severe drought. Now south of the Arkansas River, in extreme drought. And right near the Oklahoma border, it's exceptional drought. The highest classification for drought. This is the first appearance of exceptional drought in Oklahoma in Oklahoma since May of 2015 and in Kansas since June of 2014. There are no significant rain chances for the west and central areas of the Southern Plains. Wheat areas the next 6 to 10 days or rain is badly needed to prevent the significant decline in yields. In the markets today, weather factors include a limited rain chance for Argentina and beneficial moisture across Brazil. In Argentina, substantial reduction in soybean output is expected because of their drought. Dry weather will remain throughout the next week, and only a limited benefit from rain is likely from some rain about 10 days out. Soybean crop estimates in Brazil continue to be raised due to beneficial rain. The soybean 
Production this crop year now forecast in Brazil to be just slightly less than last year's record harvest. Ag Weather Watch brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. And Paul Perkins, we know you wanted to reserve a little bit of time to promote your favorite weekend of the year, the bane <laughs> of the morning radio personnel. <laughs> yes, we do not like that uh, because... It's harder to go to bed when that sun is up later in the evening. But yes, daylight savings time kicks in Saturday night. And as Dirk said, the bane or nightmare of the morning man on the radio. That's right. So before you go to bed on sun, uh, late Saturday night or early Sunday morning, it actually takes place at 2 a.m. your local time when you skip ahead one hour and Paul loses an hour of sleep <laughs> and and future hours of sleep because i probably great. don't as not as motivated motivated <laughs> to get to bed right away you never make that up no i, I don't care what they say <laughs> when you need weather anytime krvn.com while all eyes are on exports u.s ag imports have broken a record Ethanol plant managers go to Washington, D.C., and we go in-depth on what happened with the USDA report today. That's all ahead on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. U.S. agriculture imports hit their highest level on record in January 2018, nearly wiping out the sector's trade surplus for the month. U.S. ag exports were at $11.387 billion for January, down 6.5% from December and the lowest since September 2017. According to the USDA's U.S. ag trade data update, Imports, however, surged to a record $11 billion, up 9.5% from December. U.S. agriculture imports have never been at $11 billion, according to the USDA's data, going all the way back to October 1975. The surge in imports also chopped the U.S. ag trade surplus for the month to just $305 million, the smallest since August when it was at $287 million. According to the USDA, over 44% of U.S. ag imports are horticulture products, including fruits, vegetables, tree nuts, wines, essential oils, nursery stock, cut flowers, and hops. Sugar and other tropical products such as coffee, cocoa, and rubber comprise just 20% of ag imports to the U.S. Part of the reason the U.S. ag imports are on the rise is because of Americans' expensive tastes. The USDA shows that U.S. consumers ran heavily on imports for certain products where demand far outweighs domestic production capacity. Over 95% of the coffee, cocoa, spices, fish, and shellfish products consumed in the U.S. are imported and are about half of the fresh fruits and fruit juices and almost a third of the wine and sugar. As U.S. incomes drive consumption, the volume of U.S. agriculture imports have increased by 4% annually since 2000. In Washington, D.C., oil refiners are pushing for a price cap on renewable identification numbers with the ethanol industry, and the ethanol industry is now standing its ground by touting year-round E15 sales as the only solution to bring down REN costs. Thirty members of the United Steelworkers Union and oil refinery representatives are in Washington to push for changes to the renewable fuel standard. Now, managers of 150 ethanol plants from across the country are pleading with President Donald Trump to leave the RFS alone. On Wednesday, ethanol plant managers urged President Trump in a letter not to cap the price of renewable identification numbers or RENs, as doing so would lead to the lost production and lost jobs in ethanol. Refineries have been calling on reform to save jobs in the refinery industry. In their letter to Trump, the ethanol plant managers pushed solely for expanding E15 sales as a solution for both sides. 
Refiners of all sizes are posting surging profits under the RFS, thanks in part to the extraordinary generosity of this administration's tax reforms. Going on in the letter, the managers say a true win-win proposal would lift summertime restrictions on the sales of 15% ethanol blends. This minor change would support growth on all sides, generate a new supply of RENs, and ease pressure on refiners. But this proposal holds no value if it becomes tied to a destructive REN cap that eliminates market access for biofuels. The USDA's Global Supply and Demand Report was released today, and Mike Zuzalo brings us which grain the report favored. I think it had a real nice look to it from a standpoint of the corn. We once again saw an increase in the export number. U.S. sending stocks now down to 2.1 billion bushels. More importantly is the U.S. number going down and slight reductions in South America put the world ending stocks of corn down below 200 million tons. Then again, Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics. I'm Clay Patton. Keep a straight row and keep listening to the Rural Radio Network. The NAFTA negotiations have been going on for almost a year now, and the latest ones just wrapped up in Mexico City, with all sides coming closer to an agreement, but no formal agreement being made. But on the Rural Radio Network today, we have an interesting and unique look from both sides, from the White House to Mexico City. I'm Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network. Joining us and giving us that unique look is Congressman Roger Marshall of Kansas. And Congressman Marshall, thank you for being on with us. We start with your recent meeting at the White House with President Trump and talking about trade. What happened in the meeting? Yeah, Clay, thanks so much for having me. Uh, a very, very good meeting. President Trump, he, just, he has to be the most transparent president that we've ever had. And basically, you know, he put his cards on the table. He wants a stronger NAFTA agreement. He wants more jobs uh, in this country. He wants what's best for America. He's absolutely committed that, that we can do better. Uh, you know, for instance, from the agriculture sector, he thinks that Canada should be giving us more access to their market. Uh, I don't have to tell anybody in the Midwest that, that maybe there's some dairy issues with Canada. So he wants to improve those. And I think it was just a, uh, us kind of discussing with him what our goals were uh, going forward. And was he fairly receptive in listening to Kansas's ideas and what your uh, constituents have told you? I think he's very receptive to our ideas. And I think that our goals are absolutely the same here. But maybe we still disagree a little bit on, on how to get there. Um, I, I think he may be m- more focused on, for instance, the auto industry and concerns about that than he, than he maybe does on agriculture. But I think he certainly, at the end of that meeting, he understands how important NAFTA is to agriculture and to these states that, frankly, elected him president. And then you had the unique experience as well, being at the trade table sitting front and center, talking trade in Mexico with the other countries. Talk to us about your experience there. Certainly was an honor to sit by the Ways and Means Chairman Kevin Brady. And America needs to realize that though the President and his staff are negotiating NAFTA, that the Congress, and specifically the Ways and Means Committee and the Ag Committee, dictate trade policy. And eventually we have to pass this in, in Congress. So we wanted to make sure that uh, both countries, Mexico and Canada, as well as our, along with our USTR, understood that, that whatever they negotiate eventually we need to be able to pass this through Congress. So it was an honor to set by Kevin Brady beside uh, Nebraska's Adrian Smith, and Adrian did a great job as well as Kevin Brady. Just so impressed with the professionalism of all the teams involved, not just uh, the U.S.s but also Canada and Mexico. I think they are locked in on getting an agreement done. There had not been much progress made up until about two weeks ago. 
pleasantly, uh, not really surprised, but certainly pleasantly uh, enjoyed hearing all the progress that had been made. And moving forward, Congressman, what do you see coming from these trade ones now with this latest meeting concluding in Mexico? Well, I, I think what, what we've done is we pretty much uh, got all the low-hanging fruit picked. And now we can focus on those tough sides of the negotiations. There's some some issues about a sunset clause. You know, should this agree should this agreement automatically end in five years, or should it should we just start keep working on it every three to five years, take portions of the agreement and see what we can improve on them? There's some issues about, like I mentioned earlier, the auto industry and how much of a of a rules of origin issue, how much of an auto should be made in America to qualify for the trade free. Uh, uh, going across borders, so I think we can get down to the to the brass tacks and get really serious now. That's Congressman Roger Marshall of Kansas joining us and talking about NAFTA, not only at the White House but the latest round of negotiations in Mexico. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network, and time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, the Boys State High School basketball tournament is underway in Lincoln, and our own Scott Foster is on hand at Pinnacle Bank Arena. First round of the Nebraska Boys State basketball tournament is underway. Let's take a look at some of the scores in Class B. It was Bennington beating Aurora 55-45. to Sacred Heart all over Cody Kilgore in D2, 63-20. Lords Catholic was a winner over Paxton, 63-57. Lincoln Christian over Grand Island Central Catholic. Just the first four games underway. Lots more coming this weekend from Lincoln. From the Pinnacle Bank Arena. I'm Scott Foster. Thanks, Scott. And those second matchups taking place today, quite the game between York and Crete. At last check, they were in overtime. Tied at 60 in C1. It was Wahoo over Ogallala, 87 to 44. In D1, it was Johnson Brock knocking off West Holt, 65 56. And in Class D2, Giltner. They were able to hold off Wilcox Hildreth, 40 to 34. The Kansas State High School Basketball Championships for the girls and boys. Those are also underway the rest of the week and this weekend across the state of Kansas. And the NAIA National Tournament is taking place in Sioux City. Hastings College women play at 3.30 this afternoon against Lawrence Tech from Michigan. Kansas State and KU are in action at the Big 12 Tournament. K-State is playing TCU at this time. They were tied at 28 at last check right before half. Kansas plays Oklahoma State at 1.30. Husker baseball team makes its home debut this afternoon as they battle Cal Poly. That one starts in just about an hour. And new Nebraska head football coach Scott Frost continues to get set for his first spring in Lincoln. He says he's quite aware of what he signed up for when he agreed to take the job in December. You know, Nebraska people care more than any fans I've been around. And uh, sometimes that that can be a little bit of a, too, a little too much, but you also get the support and, and the enthusiasm and everything that comes along with that. Uh, nobody understands it better than I do. Uh, I knew what I was signing up for. and The Huskers will start spring practice later on this month. Frost was a guest last night on the Huskers Sports Network. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Mostly clear in Nebraska tonight, lows in the 20s. I'm Dave Schroeder. Nebraska lawmakers are discussing a bill that would prevent the new U.S. tax law from triggering an automatic tax increase for most residents. The measure introduced by Senator Jim Smith on Governor Pete Ricketts' behalf 
would restore tax exemptions that were eliminated because Nebraska's system is closely tied to federal tax laws. We propose in 1090 to adopt a higher standard deduction. And so together, those efforts will uh, keep Nebraskans whole and prevent them from having unintended increases on their individual income taxes. Senator Smith's LB 1090 would create a new personal exemption in Nebraska as well as increase Nebraska's standard deduction, effectively canceling out any state tax increase resulting from federal tax changes. An expensive home was destroyed and more than 200 acres of grassland burned in the Bacook area on Tuesday after a wildfire broke out. Firefighters from many southwest Nebraska communities responded. Red Willow County Sheriff Alan Kochwar, who also serves as county emergency manager, says the assistance received during Tuesday's wildfire was very much appreciated. We had uh, several farmers or businesses that, that uh, brought tankers with uh, water for the, the fire personnel. We had uh, Shiflets, Ruggles Farms, Randall Farms, Kleins, Deerhold Concrete, Ag Valley, IVC, and Matt Cappell all came out to assist the fire personnel with bringing water, tractors with uh, plows or discs on them. Uh, and then we had a large group that uh, brought in foods and received food donations for people for the uh, fire personnel and, and all the workers. A fire district from west central Nebraska also came down and assisted with overnight monitoring of hot spots. Immigrants working on a remote Kansas ranch toil in a type of servitude to pay back their employer for the cost of smuggling them into the country. That's according to five people who worked at Fuller Cattle Company. One former worker shared a pay stub with the Associated Press showing that he took home a little over $200 for two weeks of nearly constant work or just over $1 an hour. The company deducted a $1,300 cash advance repayment. A company attorney says the allegations are simply not true. Our app puts regional, ag, national, and area news just one click away anytime. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. It doesn't matter if you're grain or livestock, trade is important to you. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. The Governor's Ag Conference is underway through today in Kearney. Last evening, an opportunity for Nebraska in the national spotlight. Five producers who've had an impact on a national level as a national officer sat down to talk about issues that affect the industry. And they all seem to carry the same theme, trade. We start out talking with Don Bloss, chair of the National Sorghum Producers. Well, we've got uh, quite a few opportunities out there. Uh, I can uh, tell you real quick what happens if you don't have trade. We got into the uh, uh, situation with China on sorghum, and it's a political thing. It had nothing to do with the, the quality of the grain that we were selling them or anything we did to the grain or anything. But we're going sold uh, probably 6% of our crop to China. That could be in jeopardy, but right now it isn't so far. But we have expanded our trade to about 10 or 12 other countries. So we're going to have uh, quite a bit of trade as, as far as that goes. But you got to kind of keep your options open. You don't want to focus totally on one uh, country as far as exports and trade is concerned. You want to broaden it out as much as possible. 
Jim Miller is chair of the U.S. Soybean Export Council. You know, for soybeans, I think back in 1990, Nebraska raised like 50 million bushels of soybeans in the state. Today, we or last year, we raised about uh, 330 or 40 million bushels of soybeans in the state. As we continue to become more productive and more efficient in our in our cropping practices and growing more, trade is what's going to keep this country alive. We we really need to have trade, and and so for for the things that I've seen change over the years. Trade is very, very much important to us. In the soybean industry, we export 60% of all the soybeans we grow in the U.S. 50% of those soybeans go go to China. So we really don't want to cause hardship and make enemies with China and lose lose our number one customer of whole soybeans. Terry O'Neill, who is president of the National Pork Board, agrees trade is vital. Oh, the importance of trade is invaluable. It's it's incredible. Uh, because 95% of our customers live outside the United States, we need to be able to export our products. So you know, anything interrupts any type of trade is not very good for our industry. So uh, people are, are gaining a higher standard of living in other countries, and when they do that, they, they buy meat, and whether it be beef or pork or poultry. Uh, it's extremely important for us to have good trade relations with these other countries because we're all in competition in the world for the same consumers, and it's extremely important for us to have good trade. Lynn Crisp is first vice president of the National Corn Growers Association. He also said trade is vital to the industry. Not like uh, trade has changed a lot because trade has always been important to the National Corn Growers Association, but the thing that has changed is this administration. And uh, with President Trump coming into office, uh, he made uh, a number of statements on the campaign trail that how bad that he thought that our trade agreements were and we're in the process of uh, as a country renegotiating NAFTA at this point in time and agriculture has benefited immensely from the NAFTA agreement and uh, we are looking to a situation where agriculture is not harmed in the process as they update the agreement. Craig Uden, who is immediate past president of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, says trade brings more product value to the cattlemen. Trade is going to be a must in the future if we're going to grow our industry. And, you know, if we want to create jobs, we want to create an opportunity for young people, we want to create a business climate that, that works, we got to have trade because that's going to do nothing but grow. Our population is fairly stagnant at 325 million people. Uh, middle class in China is bigger than that. They're 350 million, and we got we're going to grow by two billion. So trade is going to be mighty important. What's really important about trade in the beef sector is we our carcass gets broken into so many pieces. We don't consume everything in that beef carcass. So anything we can export to another country that likes that product and will pay us more per pound, such as tongues. In the United States, for example, tongues are worth $2.50, $2.75 if you export them. They're worth less than 20 30 cents if we got to consume them ourselves. So if there's, uh, uh, say, $2 or a uh, little short of two pounds in a tongue, that's that's $5 a head. That's $1 honored right there, just one part. Tripe, oxtail, uh, we don't eat a lot of inside rounds. Mexico consumes a lot of our inside rounds. Uh, a lot of that would just go to grind. Grind's about a dollar thirty, forty cents. If we can sell it for two fifty to three dollars a pound, 
why don't we take advantage of that? We have to have, we don't always consume what we raise, so we have to uh, find other outlets or suffer the consequences and move it all into the grind. So China is really, they, they like fat. They, it's, it's, it's a great way to sell a lot of products that uh, are less desirable maybe in the U.S., but they have a lot of benefits over that because they, they've been deprived of uh, uh, that taste, that, 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 uh, the fat. My conversation with five gentlemen who sat on national boards representing Nebraska. I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. Next, we get a review of the livestock futures trade with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yeah, not a very good day for uh, livestock futures today. Uh, cattle came under some pretty good pressure uh, uh, right from the get-go and uh, stayed lower all day long, uh, as well as the feeders. Uh, you had some triple-digit losses uh, in both, uh, more in the feeders than in the uh, in the uh, live cattle, but uh, still... Uh, pretty uh, down day today. Uh, cutouts at noon were just a little bit lower, uh, but I think there's a lot of disappointment over uh, the fact that the uh, cattle trade continues to be uh, fairly sluggish and uh, not improving like uh, I think uh, quite a few had thought might happen this week, and it just hasn't happened. Uh, uh, then you uh, throw in the uh, hogs, uh, which were under some pretty good pressure throughout the day, but uh, did manage to come back, and uh, even the uh, nearby April closed higher, uh, and the rest uh, well off their lows. So, uh, But the fact that the uh, cutouts in the, in the pork have been just absolutely uh, decimated uh, in the last couple of days, uh, uh, sharply lower both uh, the day before and last night. Uh, and noon didn't bring about uh, too much uh, better. And uh, I think that kind of spilled over into the cattle even uh, uh, just because of the competition between the two uh, in the retail level. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. Call him at 800-328-0134. This is the Rural Radio Network. Joining you now from the Governor's Ag Conference, I'm Shaylee Peters, and I visit here with Jerry Wiggs. He is Senior Director, Export Sales and Marketing with Greater Omaha. And you were on a panel this morning, Jerry, and just in visiting ahead of time here with me, uh, there was so much great conversation that came out of that panel. One of the things you mentioned and talked about was specifically here in Nebraska, the fact that when you go on trips and you talk to overseas clients, the power that not only you as a business, but the university and the state tie in together specifically here from the state. Yeah, I can't understate that. You know, the the fact that when, when we're overseas selling Greater Omaha Beef, and to my left I have, say for example, a Dr. Calkins from the University of Nebraska speaking on why beef from Nebraska is unique, why it is why it is a better quality. And then on my and then on my other arm I have, say for example, a Stan Garbots or Steve or the governor, and we're talking with these customers, and then they look at us and they say, "Oh, this is not just Greater Omaha. I have they have the power of the state of Nebraska behind them," and I can't tell you what, how much credibility that lends to to Greater Omaha. 
that plays right into also uh, the uniqueness of Nebraska, especially when it comes to beef. We have really from that calf dropping on the ground all the way to getting it shipped overseas, we've got that covered. Yes, very true. Um, Dr. Calkins actually, and, and I'm stealing a line from him, but he says, if I could invent a place for beef, it would be Nebraska. And, and, and the reason for that is we've got all the qualities that we need here in the state of Nebraska, from the sand hills where the cow-calf operation is, to the corn that we grow here in the state of Nebraska to feed to our animals, to the feedlots east side of Nebraska. And we also have the genetics, the sheer number of cattle that we have in the state. I don't know if you just heard, but recently we've been uh, noted that the state of Nebraska has more cattle on feed than any other state in the, in the entire United States. So with that, the Ogallala Aquifer, we have ample supplies of water, fresh water. And with all of those unique um, attributes that we have, we, we truly can produce some of the very best quality beef in the world. Now, you had a very big 2017 leading into 2018, of course. One of the big headlines was that China had opened their market again to U.S. beef. And even bigger for you, you were the first shipment over there. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, I remember when I got the phone call. I was on my way back, actually, from a vacation and immediately started calling out to the other employees and, and, and my colleagues at Greater Omaha with the great news and what are we going to do to get going. And, and you know, we, were, we worked through the weekend, actually, to start planning for that. And, um, yeah, China is, is the potential in China with 1.3 billion people in the country um, you know and they do love beef you know they love beef and now it's just a matter of converting them from the the lower quality beef that they're used to to higher quality beef from the state of Nebraska so I've made actually three trips to China in in the last uh, seven months and uh, we know it's going to be um, a long haul somebody said today in the uh, the meeting uh, it's not going to be a, a, a marathon it's going to be a, a triathlon and so that's where we are today we're we know we have the potential there we're not gonna we're not going to um, give up on this deal the, the the growth is already evident so you know we're excited about china's reopening all right thanks so much it's jerry wiggs senior director export sales and marketing with greater omaha visiting with us today at the governor's ag conference happening in Kearney. i'm shaley peters on the rural radio network Dewey Nelson on the World Radio Network as we get reaction from USDA's report. Uh, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. And you said we could uh, use up this uh, entire program to talk about corn today. Yeah, well, first, first we'll start with beans. Beans are, I think, a sideshow here. Um, obviously, the CONAB numbers starting this morning were a little higher than I think the bulls wanted to see, 113 million metric tons for, Ar- for Brazil. In Argentina, the USDA came in at 46. I think we'll see the Argentinian numbers come down in the next reports. And what's going to get lost in the sauce with beans was the fantastic fantastic export number we saw to open the day so um that that you know beans will have good days ahead i know we were down a little bit today but the story is really corn and what about corn well corn all right well so let's start we had a really three-part day uh started the morning uh with with conab coming at 87 and a half million metric tons Keep in mind, the USDA, before this USDA report was at 95, so we saw a 7 to 8 million metric ton adjustment lower. That's essentially 30, 
you know, 300, 320 million bushels that's coming out of the South American balance sheet, and it's going to need to be met by U.S. demands. So that's the first thing. The second thing we got were exports, another fantastic export number, 1.8 million metric tons. That's about 80 million bushels of corn. We only need to average 20 million bushels of corn a week to hit USDA export, uh, export numbers, and I think we'll probably outpace that, which means you can expect a further hike in the coming reports. The third thing was the USDA report, and as I mentioned to you on before we went on, I think this was probably, it might be hyperbole to say this, but maybe the most bullish export number we've seen in the last five to six years, uh, going back to that 2013-2012 time period, um, you know, to start with the demand. And, and, you know, before you even get to the supply cuts in Argentina, when you see demand go up, demand has to be met by increased supply down the road. And if you don't have that supply there, now it's a double whammy on the balance sheet because that demand needs to be accounted for. So we have higher demand now for the old crop. We're going to need more acres now being pulled away from soybeans. So that's going to be the interesting story going forward is what, what gets planted by the U.S. farmer. You know, up until today, a lot of talk of 93 million acres of beans. I think that's gone out the window now. You probably see some more corn acres come in. So the real issue for me is what, what happens to, to the matrix between the two. Um, we're probably still not high enough to get folks to really push themselves into corn, but closing around 4:10 December, we're not, you know, too far away from folks maybe changing their mind as we get to the end of the year. So should we price a little bit of that new crop corn c- contract? No, I don't think he's priced anything at this point. I think if you need money, you can look to price a little bit off May, but the the price of new crop corn is going to be depending on the pri- on what the new crop production looks like. We're three months away from where we're going to know that. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago. This is the Rural Radio Network.